The Chiefs improved to 2-0. Not the greatest win in your home opener, but the Kansas City Chiefs will take it. A win is always better than a loss. An ugly win, that is. Look, you'll take the win. It's always been said that wins are never easy, and the NFL is no exception to that. So the Chiefs will take that. Look, you'd rather be 2-0 rather than being 1-1 or 0-2 or having a, a win or a loss with a tie in there. You're 2-0. So listen, yeah, are there things to work on? Yes, absolutely. We'll touch on all of that as we go on on this podcast, uh, on this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. But take the win. Enjoy the win. Don't ever complain that your team picked up the win. Always appreciate what the result is. And in this case, for the Chiefs, it is a win. So you've got to be happy with that. You can't complain too much. So the Chiefs will take that. They know what to do. They're going to be going in and visiting a desperate San, or, excuse me, San Diego. They've been called San Diego quite a lot this year, so I think everyone has forgotten that they switched over to L.A., but you get the idea. The Chiefs are going to be visiting an L.A. Chargers team, and they are 0-2 on the season, so you know that they are desperate for a win. They're going to give it everything they have to try to pull out a win and prevent starting the season 0-3, especially when you're in a new market in L.A. and you're trying to do absolutely everything to try to gain fan attention. I mean, look, the worst thing that you can do if you're trying to sell a product to a new market is just get off to a bad start. And I think not only just professionally on the field from a business standpoint, Chargers have a lot to work on. We'll talk about the AFC West later. Plus, a cameraman is going to get a penalty flag later on in the podcast. Also... Tony Romo. I'm going to tell you why Tony Romo should leave and quit his job as a commentator, as an announcer for CBS. I'll tell you what job he should have, and you guys will agree with this. Hear me out on this one. I'll talk about that later on in the podcast. Farzine Vasugian here with you. Give my Facebook page a like, facebook.com slash Farzine Vasugian. Follow me on Twitter at Farzine21, and also email me as well, Farzine at Farzine Vasugian. All right, so of course, this is the recap podcast for the Chiefs Zone. We'll, of course, recap the game between the Chiefs and the Eagles, Andy Reid's former team that he has now faced for a second time. And then later on, we'll wrap up the show, like always, by going around the NFL out of bounds, and I'll throw my penalty flags. And then later this week on Thursday, expect the, or actually, correction, um, this might be a little earlier. I may do it on Wednesday due to a scheduling conflict, so... On Wednesday, expect the preview podcast. It's going to be fairly earlier than usual, but nonetheless, you'll have plenty of time to listen to it. A preview edition of the Chiefs on Podcast where I'll break down the game between the Chiefs and the Chargers. That'll take place this Sunday, and it'll be one of the later afternoon games for the Chiefs. Let's get into it. Kansas City came away with a 27-20 victory over the Eagles. Very ugly first half for both teams. Uh, I mean, kind of a similar start to the, for the Chiefs. In this game, just like how they kicked off the NFL season opener on the road in Foxborough against the New England Patriots, the Chiefs did move the ball very well on an eight-play drive to open up the game. 73 yards in 3 minutes and 38 seconds, and it looked like this offense picked up right from where it left off. And listen, in order for some, for a drive to be considered a successful drive, in my opinion, and I use the word successful strictly here, it's got to end in a touchdown. You can still have... 
good, solid drives that don't necessarily end in touchdowns. Maybe they end in field goals, or maybe they don't even end in a score whatsoever, but as long as you don't turn the ball over, and if your punter can pin them deep, which the Kansas City Chiefs do have one of the best punters in the NFL, and Dustin Colquitt, who's capable of doing that, then, you know, you it's not the end of the world. Listen, I mean, you, you cannot find an NFL offense that scores a touchdown or a field goal on every single drive. You just don't have that. So, Kansas City opened up the game with the football, marched eight plays on a 73-yard drive, and came away with a 34-yard field goal from Cairo Santos. Later on in the quarter, the new kicker for the Eagles, Jake Elliott, responded with a field goal to tie the game. Things got really interesting in the second quarter. You don't see a lot of offense from neither team. Darren Sproles might have been the biggest highlight and may have had the best first half out of anyone in this game between the Chiefs and the Eagles. And I mentioned this last podcast. Darren Sproles has a history of going off on the Kansas City Chiefs for whatever reason. I mean, he's always had that. Now, it helps that the Chiefs and Chargers played each other twice for several years while Sproles was with them. So, he's always just had that familiarity playing against Kansas City. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, I believe this is the first time Sproles is playing against the Chiefs since leaving the Chargers. And was with the Saints for a while, did a great job there playing with Drew Brees. Uh, performed and really lived up to his potential, and played to his potential, I should say. And now coming over to the Philadelphia Eagles, where you know you've got a good offensive mind and former Chiefs offensive coordinator Doug Peterson, now the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. So he tore up the Chiefs defense quite a lot. And listen, if we know any, anything from two games with this Chiefs defense, the run-stopping defense, it, it needs a lot of work. Reggie Raglan was inactive again for the Chiefs. I'm not sure what exactly they have planned for him. Of course, they acquired him during the preseason, so you know they want to do something with him at some point in the season. But for the Chiefs, you and again, it's, it's of course, you know, we're, we're doing this conversation very early. I mean, if you could look ahead, and listen, general managers do this. Fans don't talk about this. Players don't talk about this, nor coaches. But GMs and scouts are always on the go with these topics here. They won't talk about it publicly, but hey, you know what? I'll do it. You know that Kansas City early on, they're they're looking at help with the run-stopping defense and with the offensive line. I mean, just the way that Darren Sproles was dominating the Chiefs defense on the ground, 48 carries or excuse me, 48 yards off 10 carries, 107 yards total as a team on the ground for the Eagles. And that's definitely no recipe for success if you're allowing them to dominate on the ground. And listen, I know that we're in a pass-heavy league, but this Chiefs defense has always been a bend-don't-break type of defense. But here's the thing. The rushing attack, and and I I don't think people realize this, it is still a very key part of an offense and I know it sounds silly because you just have the passing and then you've got the rushing so yes you may go pass heavy and the only other thing you can do is run with the football if you don't pass but I think what people forget is and and this hurt Kansas City in a couple of games against the Titans and against the Buccaneers last year when those two losses at Arrowhead when you allow a team to do well on the run that helps them when it comes to dominating time of possession what happens if your opponents are winning the battle with the clock well Fatigue starts to play a role, and that can really 
set the tone the the remainder of a game for uh, for a team, and that puts pressure on an offense to do well also. Now, fortunately for the Chiefs, they weren't obliterated on the ground. I, I mean, th- there's room to improve. It's got to be better. If I had say if I had to rank them right, I'd, I'd say they're below average. They're a below average run stopping defense, and they've got to find ways to stop guys. And I know in the NFL today, there's a strong focus on speedsters. You don't necessarily see the power backs as often. Running backs in the NFL, for the most part, they're fast, but they're also ten times faster guys. I mean, you you saw with Jamal Charles, Larry Johnson was not the most fastest guy in the NFL when he was a running back here, and. He tended to do very well, but you don't see Larry Johnson type of running backs anymore in the NFL these days. So Darren Sproles dominated for most of the first half, but the Chiefs got a field goal from Cairo Santos just about 16 seconds before halftime. The Eagles, they had the football and... Carson Wentz almost picked up, I believe it was Terrence Mitchell or Eric Murray. I can't remember who it was. One of them almost had the pick, but it was that tip pass. And Zach Ertz, I talked about Zach Ertz last podcast, said that he is going to be a key factor for the Eagles. And he could have been the difference maker in this game. Well, actually, I believe it was Murray uh, who, who was the difference maker uh, who came in with the tackle, the, the, the tackle that essentially saved the touchdown for the Chiefs. So Murray went in there, and Zach Ertz, getting that tip pass, should have been picked off. Almost got a touchdown there, but luckily the Chiefs stopped him right there. So first half, and by the way, the Chiefs also dodged a bullet because the Eagles, and of course the opposing kicker has the last name, Elliott, missed a field goal right there. So the Chiefs dodged a big bullet there when they allowed that big play between uh, Carson Wentz and Zach Ertz. So first half, I mean, you're, you're feeling pretty numb. It's a 6-3 lead. Not a lot of excitement, especially for a home opener. A lot of fans at Arrowhead for this one. But the second half, I mean, things just completely changed. The Eagles scored first on a touchdown pass to Alshon Jeffrey, longtime Chicago Bear, uh, was overturned. He rolled into the end zone. A referee uh, originally thought he was down by contact, but it was very crystal clear that even without the replay that he was not down by contact and he rolled into the end zone. So a very obvious call and a very quick one made by the refs when they went to review it. So the Eagles scored the first touchdown of the game. Kareem Hunt, come on over. I mean, this is what Chiefs fans love. I mean, the, the, how can you hate this guy at this point? I mean, you love the way that Kareem Hunt's been playing for you. Five touchdowns so far in his very young career. His first one against the Eagles came on a 53-yard run. Running to the left, got some big blocks from Eric Fisher, Travis Kelsey, the tight end, and also the fullback, Anthony Sherman. So great blocking from Kansas City on the left side that allowed Kareem Hunt to go through this big hole, gash through, and run all the way to the end zone. Now, there was that penalty on Travis Kelsey. I'll get into that in just a moment because I know that's a big deal, and a lot of people are talking about that with with Travis Kelsey right now. Fourth quarter comes... Now, the Chiefs at this point, they never looked back. They never lost the lead. The Eagles tied it early in the fourth quarter, but the Chiefs respond back-to-back touchdown plays. Travis Kelsey with a 15-yard shovel pass from Alex Smith. Uh, Back-to-back plays for Travis Kelsey where he jumped 10 feet in the air. And this is something he's done ever since he started playing for the Chiefs in 2014, which 
was essentially his rookie year because he was injured in 2013. But Travis Kelsey gets that touchdown right there, that dive into the end zone. And then on another drive for the Chiefs, Kareem Hunt dominates on a six uh, on a six play drive. And by the way, this is of course that tip pass uh, went through it to the helmet of a Chiefs linebacker, and not necessarily a tip, but hey, it was tipped up in the air by, via helmet. And Chris Jones, of all people, came away with that interception, the first interception of the season for the Chiefs. If you had Chris Jones with the first interception of the season, good good on you. No one saw that coming, surely. Uh, and by the way, Chris Jones and that defensive line, they really came and showed up and did some work against Carson Wentz in this Eagles defense when the Chiefs needed it the most. Now, again, somehow, someway, the Chiefs decide to make things interesting. Up by two touchdowns, Nelson Aguilar, who caught that crazy touchdown pass last week when Carson Wentz evaded several defenders from the Redskins and found uh, a wide-open Aguilar. This was his first catch of the game. It was a nine-yard touchdown catch from Carson Wentz. So it was 27-20, and on an onside kick, complete miscommunication from the Chiefs' hands team, the Eagles recover the football. So from midfield, they got one more shot, but uh, over Carson Wentz overthrew everybody in the end zone. The ball went way, a little beyond the end zone. So the Chiefs hang on to win 27-20, to making things interesting right before halftime and right before the end of the game. But nonetheless, the Chiefs came away with a win. Two turnovers in this game for the Philadelphia Eagles, and that, of course, will play a role in a team's win. But listen, Kansas City, I mean, there are some things that they've got to work on too. When you look at the first down numbers, 16 first down for the Chiefs compared to Philadelphia's 27. And when you look at the penalties as well, Chiefs were penalized very early in this game quite a lot, five times, but did not commit a lot of penalties in the second half, which was good to see. I mean, you look at the Chiefs and what they did last week, uh, I mean, more than a dozen penalties against the Patriots, something you cannot afford, and the Chiefs somehow found a way to win that game last week against the Patriots and came through again in this game despite the first half woes with, with, with penalties and also struggling stopping the run. Now, Alex Smith didn't have his most glorious game, but, I mean, guys, you've got to pump the brakes on the Mahomes. This is me saying this. After everything I have said in the offseason about how frustrated I was with the Mahomes situation and how it's being handled, after a game like that against the Patriots, don't don't be so quick to judge. Now, look, yes, it's a positive performance, but surely Alex Smith can do that again. Let's not forget he has not thrown an interception or hasn't fumbled all season. Through two games so far. People might be saying it's just two games. But you're already one eighth into the season. 21 of 28. 251 yards. One touchdown. Was sacked four times in this game. Look. A lot of people were saying put Mahomes in. I got a couple tweets during the game about this. And I said look. What's Mahomes going to do that Alex Smith can't do? How is Mahomes going to carry this offense with this offensive line. And Kansas City didn't have the greatest pass blocking last week either. So this is certainly an area that needs improvement the most. You fix that off. It all starts off front with the offensive line. And look, I can already see it from now. Especially against teams like the Raiders and the Broncos. Both are undefeated so far to start the season. And have premier pass rushers. I mean, two guys uh, that were... 
competing for Defensive Player of the Year, and it was one vote that made the difference, giving it to Von Miller. You've got a great pass rusher in Von Miller. You've got an incredible pass rusher in Khalil Mack. When the Chiefs face those two guys later on in the season, and if this offensive line continues to play like this and doesn't show improvement, this is going to hurt Kansas City's offense in the long run. So, listen, I I said this on Twitter, and I know fans don't like to hear this, but if this Chiefs offensive line continues to play the the way they did in, in these two games so far, guess what? Khalil Mack and Von Miller, they've got a great chance at breaking... Derek Thomas's single-game sack record. They can do that easily against the Chiefs in this game. Or in, in, in an upcoming game. So, Kansas City's offensive line definitely has got to do some things. And look, given how bad the offensive line was in this game, Alex Smith did fairly well with what he had to work with. 21 of 28 passing for 251 yards with a poor offensive line, poor pass blocking. I'll take that. I mean, you, you can't say no to that. As far as his dis- distribution through the air... Only connected with five different players in this game. Travis Kelsey was the more dominant one. Five catches, 103 yards, and a touchdown. No one else had a touchdown catch for the Chiefs. But Chris Conley came through again with a big catch in the fourth quarter. Had a 35-yard catch to help the Chiefs extend their drive in this one. Had four catches for 55 yards. Tyreek Hill also had four catches for 43 yards. And of course, his, his presence on the field alone. Just take away statistics. His presence has a big factor in and how the Chiefs can run an offense. You see the Chiefs constantly using him as a decoy and trying to get defenders to swallow up on him and uh, go in his direction when the Chiefs, with the football, with the pigskin, are going in a completely different direction. So that's always good to see the Chiefs continue doing that with Tyreek Hill. Kareem Hunt had three catches for 20 yards, and Albert Wilson a pair of catches for 22 yards. So only five players for the Chiefs caught a pass from Alex Smith. When you look at the other side, Carson Wentz... He connected with nine different pass catchers, nearly double the amount of what Alex Smith had in this game. So, it'd be nice to see the Chiefs. Look, DeAnthony Thomas hasn't really done a whole lot for the Chiefs in the regular season. Sure, he's been kind of a preseason legend, but you know he's got the speed and and the ability to do some things. Ross Travis, uh, 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 Alex Smith tried to get a pass to him, dropped it. Of course, didn't look good for him. Demetrius Harris... Nowhere to be found in this game. So the Chiefs were very limited with what they had to work with. And I think a lot of it has to do with the offensive line. And look, give give credit to Philadelphia's coverage in this one. I, I mean, part of the reason why Alex Smith was also sacked is because he couldn't find anyone. And at times he tried to scramble and move out of the pocket to try and extend plays. And it still did not work in Kansas City's favor. So you got to give credit to Philadelphia's defense for their coverage as well. Now, I do want to switch to the other side of the football Uh, This defensive line really came through. I thought this was, hands down, Alan Bailey's best game since being in a Chiefs uniform. Now, the stat line doesn't show it. Two tackles, one tackle for a loss. But man, he constantly was pressuring Carson Wentz in this game. And by the way, the Chiefs came away with six sacks in this one. Chris Jones had three of them. Justin Houston, who's always been called a sack artist, he came away with a sack as well, and three tackles for a loss. Justin Houston, by the way, looked really good against the run. So Justin Houston also came through for the Chiefs. Even though the Chiefs struggled against the run at times, Justin Houston was a bright spot. Chris Jones was a bright spot. And as was Alan Bailey, uh, who, I mean, these are guys that constantly put pressure on Carson Wentz throughout the game. D Ford also went in there and got a sack. A name that I have not mentioned yet, and someone who really deserves a lot of praise, 
Daniel Sorensen, man. I mean, this guy came with that safety blitz all game long. Three quarterback hits for him in this game. No sacks, but man, he he jumped over Darren Sproles at one point late in the game. And Carson Wentz was terrified and immediately threw an incompletion because he was trying to avoid the sack. I mean, this is what Kansas City's defense did all game long. The six sacks is just part of it. When you look beyond the stats, the amount of times that they pressured and hurried Carson Wentz to do things he did not want to do in this game. Now, the Chiefs have yet to force an ill-advised pass in this in this NFL season. Uh, the only interception they've they've been able to come up with was that throw to the helmet tipped up in the air, and Chris Jones came away with it. Uh, I don't think Eric Berry's absence has a lot to do with it. Uh, maybe the Chiefs would have one had he still been on the team. I don't know. Uh, one thing I do want to note, speaking of interceptions, Marcus Peters didn't get one, but Carson Wentz was not afraid of Marcus Peters in this game. Not that not that the Eagles were successful in throwing in his direction, but Tom Brady did not throw towards Marcus Peters' direction once. And I think a lot of people wanted to see a Peters pick against Brady because, of course, you know, Brady... Peters has more interceptions than anybody since he joined the league two years ago. And for Brady to come up with a pick against Brady, of course, that just adds to an already impressive resume. Uh, but his coverage always makes makes some noise, too. I mean, that'll say something. I think nowadays, especially with advanced statistics, you don't have to have interceptions every single game or sacks every single Alan Bailey, I thought, had an incredible game. Probably the best defensive player today. And not statistically speaking, again, two sacks, or excuse me, two tackles and one tackle for a loss. It statistically doesn't look bright, doesn't look flashy, but uh, he still got the job done when he needed to, stopping the run and pressuring Carson Wentz in this game. D Ford, as I mentioned, he contributed as well in pressuring Carson Wentz. Daniel Sorensen had a great game with that safety blitz, also playing a hand in Kansas City's Pass rush against the Eagles. Special teams, nothing too exciting. Uh, Akeem Hunt. Yes, Akeem Hunt. Not Kareem Hunt. This is Akeem Hunt who was acquired. And CJ Spiller who, again, has been cut for a third time. And and looks like they're going to be continued to to go back and forth with him. uh, Which I just think is ridiculous. But nonetheless, I mean, if he agrees with it and the Chiefs continue to do it, then hey, uh, more power to them. Uh, special teams, uh, n- nothing too big so far for the Chiefs in this one. Although I will say Akeem Hunt did have that nice 40-yard return. Looked like he was about to go all the way, but was stopped and gave the Chiefs great field position at one point late in the game. Couldn't do anything with it, but nice to see someone else on special teams coming through for the Chiefs, trying to help out the Chiefs' offense start with good field position. So overall, this was a pretty pretty good game for the Chiefs, defensively speaking. Yes, you allowed a lot of yards on the ground, especially in the first half. But to, to hold the Eagles to 20 points, and again, you know Doug Peterson knows this team well overall. So for a guy who has familiarity with the Kansas City Chiefs overall, and to hold his team that he coaches, Doug Peterson, for the Eagles to 20 points, you'll take that. Originally, it was just one touchdown in the third quarter, and... The field goal early in the uh, in the game in the first quarter, and then after that you allowed ten points in the fourth quarter. Which, by the way, Kansas City, I mentioned this. Kansas City is outscoring their opponents in the fourth quarter, thirty-five to ten. And all ten of those points have come against the Eagles. If you told me the Chiefs were going to go twenty-one nothing 
in the fourth quarter against the Patriots, I would have said there's absolutely no way. On the road against the Patriots on that banner night, and the Chiefs came away with that dominant fourth quarter that helped them come back and win a football game. A game where in which they, the Patriots generally don't lose when they have the lead in the fourth quarter, especially at home. And for the Eagles... Now look, the Chiefs didn't necessarily dominate the fourth quarter. It was a 14-10 score just on that alone. But the Chiefs still came away with two touchdowns in that one. If you come away with a pair of touchdowns in the final quarter of the game... Generally, that those are good things. Hopefully, you're not doing it when it's a blowout, when it's garbage statistics. These are all meaningful touchdowns here for the Chiefs. So, 35 points in the fourth quarter alone. That's the biggest stat that I think Chiefs fans need to take away from this. The biggest statistic to take away. Those 35 points in the fourth quarter. So, listen, I, I know the Chiefs haven't looked very good so far this year, early in games. And, of course, we saw this last year as well. But the fourth quarter... That fourth quarter takeover, man, that just seems to really rile them up, and that's when you see this Chiefs team unleashed. So, more power to them. If that's how they win football games, hopefully it just doesn't come back to haunt them in the long run because you've got to you've got to play good football for four quarters. Now, 27 points, that'll still get the job done for the most part. And by the way, speaking of quarter by quarter, if you want to look at this game specifically, the Chiefs never lost a quarter. I think generally a lot of times you want to win each quarter or at least not lose them. So, in this case, the Chiefs... Did not lose the first and the third quarters. It was a 3-3 tie in the first quarter. And both teams scored a touchdown in the third quarter. So, other than that, the second quarter, the Chiefs got a field goal. Philadelphia had nothing. And in the fourth quarter, to close out the game, the Chiefs outscored the Eagles 14-10. So, you were never outscored in any of these quarters in this game against the Eagles. And I think that's also an important factor. I know a lot of times with... Community college baseball teams, uh, I remember when I was at Johnson County, and anytime Johnson County would go up against a smaller school that doesn't pr- produce uh, g- good baseball, especially against uh, with poor teams with poor pitching, they always try to get at least one run per inning to try to win each inning. And I think that's how you have got to look at it in this case. In this game, at least, the Chiefs didn't lose any of the quarters as far as head-to-head score. So I think that's also an important thing to look at for the Chiefs coming away with this 27-20 to victory against the Eagles. All right, I, I do want to get into Travis Kelsey because he is getting slammed a lot by Chiefs fans, and rightfully so. By all means, though, I mean, to say that he should be off, kick, off kicked, kicked off the team, really? I mean, the guy had eight catches and 103 yards and a touchdown, and you want him kicked off the team? I get everyone's impatience for him. He There was this feature on uh, NBC right before Sunday night or uh, Thursday night football kicked off. And Travis Kelsey, I mean, they did a feature on him. And he said, look, I got to cut the stupid penalties. There's no more of that immaturity. And he's done it in back-to-back weeks. Listen, I get Travis Kelsey. He was on that VH1 Bachelor-like show. But look, man, uh, you, you, you can still be a diva. You can still be... Mr. Hotshot, and not commit stupid penalties like this. Now, I don't know exactly what he did. I asked on Twitter. Uh, I don't think they showed it on, on any of the replays on Fox, but apparently he walked over to the Eagles' sideline. When he blocked for Kareem Hunt on that touchdown play, he was at midfield. So I don't know how Travis Kelsey ended up from midfield while Kareem Hunt's running out this play to the end zone and ends up 
on the side on the Eagles sideline. Now I get it. Kareem Hunt was running near the Eagles sideline on his way to the end zone, but I mean I don't, I don't understand the logic being at midfield and how he ended up on the Eagles sideline. The only time I ever defended Travis Kelsey for any of these. Amateur thing. That Jaguars game last year where he got thrown out for uh, for throwing the towel. I don't agree with what he did throwing the towel. But man, I think he, he lost his temper. I mean, there was that awful missed horse collar penalty. And then another interference call that should have been called. Uh, I mean, Travis Kelsey was dealing with a lot that game. And the referees, look, the referees, yes, they've got a difficult job. But they also need to be criticized at the right time too. And I feel like that's the only time I'd ever defend Kelsey. The shove that he had against that Steelers player, I mean, look, you can't do that. The comment after the Steelers loss, not that it impacts your play, it just impacts his pocket. Uh, he got fined for that. And then the back-to-back weeks to start off the season. He's got to be careful because, number one, a fine could be coming. Number two, not only a fine, and I've said this, look, quit doing just fines. Start suspending players, too. For their amateur acts, whether it's helmet to helmet plays, uh, those illegal hits, the NFL needs to start fining and penalize, uh, penalizing players by suspending them. And Travis Kelsey's got to be very careful. I think there was a rule in the NBA where if you have ten technical fouls, and I don't know if this rule has changed, but ten technical fouls does result in a one game suspension. I don't think the NFL has a rule where if you have a some sort of unnecessary or unsportsmanlike call, where you get suspended for a game. It's happened for Travis Kelsey back-to-back weeks. He's got to really be careful. And people are saying that, I'm sure Andy Reid's talking to him now. Andy Reid has surely had this conversation more than once already with Travis Kelsey. Whatever Andy Reid was yelling at him for, I'm sure it was a repeat of things that they've talked about. So listen, Travis Kelsey, phenomenal player. And the Chiefs are very lucky to have him and have him locked up for the next couple of years, but man, you have got to set aside the emotions, and I mean, just keep in mind, look, you're not only playing for yourself, but you're playing for the team too, I think you can be a troll, you can trash talk, you can rub it in, but to an extent, I mean, listen, you've got to, look, we all know trash talking is is part of every sport, so you've got to find a way, you know, what can you do and what can you not do? So Kelsey's got to be very careful in these situations. Last week, I think uh, the player that he uh, shoved the football up against, I think his forearm was on him. Ugh, okay, I mean, I, I'm not defending him by all means. He's still got to learn not to do that. I, at least just push him off. Don't push the football up below the belt. I mean, that, that's that, that's uncalled for. That's uncalled for. And look, if there's a head coach out there that can... Help a player mature, you know it's Andy Reid, especially with everything that he's had. To, to, I mean, guys like Marcus Peters, Michael Vick, Tyreek Hill, you know, I mean, he's got a big list of players. Even situations that we may not even know about publicly, not everything gets out there. And surely there have been other situations where he's had players who maybe came to him immature and has helped them mature along the way, whether it's in, in Green Bay as an assistant, in Philadelphia, or here in Kansas City. So it's been nice to see Andy Reid uh, be able to do that. And hopefully he can do that with Kelsey. Because look, man, it, when you've got a talented player like that, obviously emotions have got to be in check. And you don't want to lose a guy. 
to a suspension because he's acting immature on the field. And look, it comes with a reputation too. I mean, at some point, if if these things continue for Kelsey, there are times where he could be flagged where, in which it may not even be his fault. And what I mean by that is, in comparison to Ron Artest, who changed his name to Meta World Peace, you guys may remember he elbowed James Harden really hard after a big dunk he had. And then when he returned from his suspension... There was a, a scramble, there was a loose ball, and Metal World Peace tried to get it and bumped into another player. The referees called a foul on Ron Artest, Metal World Peace, whatever you want to call him. It wasn't even a foul, but that reputation, I mean, this all comes with the territory. So what, what I mean by that with Travis Kelsey is you don't want to be in a situation where, look, something might not even look like a penalty, but given the reputation, the flags, the referees will throw a flag and they'll throw it at Kelsey and just assume that, hey, it's Travis Kelsey. He has he has a history of this, so we're just going to assume it's his fault here and just penalize him for this. That, that reputation you never want to have. Officials will do that. And I'm not saying it's right, but again, it just comes with the territory. I mean, people have these preconceived notions that, you know, the, the Raiders are always uh, the team that commits the most penalties and, and that they just have a reputation of that. So... Uh, you don't ever want that on your team, especially when you've got a gifted player like Travis Kelsey. Speaking of gifted players, I do want to talk about Kareem Hunt for a moment. Five touchdowns now in his young NFL career. That second touchdown he had for the Chiefs where he he wasn't necessarily down, but he had a lot of defenders on him, and he reached his hand out to the end zone, and he got the call for the touchdown. And by the way, it's really nice to see a guy, a running back for the Chiefs, wear number 27 to make it look good again. And the Chiefs have had a lot of great running backs over the years. A great list of phenomenal running backs. And Kareem Hunt is just going to be another one on this list. Hopefully, his career doesn't end the same way like a lot of these running backs. Priest Holmes, Jamal Charles, Christian Okoye, guys who had phenomenal careers but injuries played a part in... In their roles, and they were limited. Larry Johnson had uh, he had a great start in his career with the Chiefs, but injuries and his act off the field also played a role in how much time he had left with the team. So hopefully, knock on wood, hopefully Kareem Hunt can avoid that and really continue to do what he's been doing. You do worry. I mean, when a guy gets a lot of carries, and look at this game for for instance, thirteen carries. And three catches, so 16 altogether. 16 is not a lot, especially in an Andy Reid style of offense. You know that the running backs are going to be getting the ball a lot, but at the same time, 16 touches, you kind of get concerned with that a little bit. You, you hope for the best. And, and in addition to that, running routes, even though you may not be catching a pass or you may not be targeted and blocking as well. So, uh, I mean, running backs do a lot in this league. They really do. So hopefully Kareem Hunt can continue to stay healthy because if he does that, he can really, uh, his career can go a long way. He could be a guy, hopefully this is a long ways away, but by the time his career is over, this is a guy who's definitely going to go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and hopefully he can accomplish a lot here in Kansas City before he has a long ways away, of course. I don't want to jump into any conclusions. What I mean by that is, I mean, the, the start that he's off to, if he continues this, you know that he's going to have that type of a career 
and he could be known as one of the best running backs of all time, maybe the best in Chiefs history. And you know that's a tall order considering what a lot of running backs in Kansas City have accomplished over the years. Chiefs win this one 27-20. Again, can't complain too much. Yes, there there are some things that this team's got to work on, but at the end of the day, a win is a win. You'll take the win. You'll go to practice. You'll you'll spend the week preparing and doing everything you can to work on some of the miscues, some of the woes, and not let it happen moving forward. You're playing an L.A. Chargers team. Got it right this time. You're playing an L.A. Chargers team that's 0-2. They had a heartbreaking division loss. On Monday Night Football when they had an opportunity to tie it. And the I'm going to get into their most recent game against the Dolphins. And why they should have won but they lost. You've had two losses that came down to field goals. One to tie, one to take the lead and win. With time pretty much being expired. You're going to be entering a hostile L.A field in which that team is looking to do anything and everything to rebound and come away with a win so Kansas City's got to bring its a game in this one because you know the Chargers you know what Phillip Rivers is capable of you saw it in week one last year when they had that crazy route in the first half and the Chiefs had to come back and win that one of course was the biggest comeback in franchise history for the Chiefs winning in overtime so you know that this Chiefs team has got to bring its A game. And of course the sweep has been nice. And as, as a matter of fact. The last time Kansas City lost. To the Chargers. Was in 2013. You may remember this game. This was the game where the Chiefs. Regardless of whether they won or lost. They were going to have the number 5 seed. Going into the playoffs for the AFC. So Andy Reid. Benched all 22 starters and started 22 backups in this game. And the Chiefs forced overtime in this one. Chase Daniel led the Chiefs under center in this game. Since then, the Chiefs have not lost to the Chargers. Swept them in 2014, 2015, and 2016. And keep in mind, the Chiefs have won 11 consecutive division games. That is a big one. I mean, that's something that they've got riding for them going into this divisional matchup. Their first divisional matchup of the season. So 11 games, trying to extend that to 12 games in. If you win this game, making it 12 in a row against divisional opponents, 12 games is two years worth of divisional games. So if the Chiefs do win this one, they will essentially have won two years worth of divisional. As a matter of fact, it's been two years. A little more than two years since Kansas City's loss to the Denver Broncos, a heartbreaking one where Jamal Charles fumbled at the very end of the game on Thursday Night Football uh, and the Broncos picked up the ball to win, uh, scored that touchdown, preventing overtime. That's the last time the Chiefs lost a game against an AFC West team. There have been a lot of close calls. The, the comeback against the Chargers, the the crazy comeback overtime win against the Broncos. So you've had a lot of close calls uh, against some AFC West opponents, but uh, hey, look, you'll take them. Uh, people always say, well, if Jamal Charles never fumbled that one, well... If the Broncos didn't blow that lead, if uh, uh, if Fowler if Fowler catches that pass in overtime, all he has to do is walk into the end zone, and the Broncos win that one. So, uh, I mean, there have been a lot of close calls uh, on both sides where the Chiefs could have won or lost divisional games. But at the end of the day, all he can do is just go with the result, and the Chiefs, result-wise, have won 11 in a row. That's what they've got going for them going into this divisional matchup. We will preview that 
later this week. Uh, the podcast will come out. I mentioned Tuesday. Tuesday is when I'll record it. It'll be out Wednesday. So Wednesday is when the podcast will be available, the preview podcast between the Chiefs and the Chargers. Time to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. All right, we're not going to go too far outside of Arrowhead. I mean, gosh, looking at the AFC West right now, you've got three teams with a 2-0 start. Now, if the season ended today, Denver would be in first place because they have the divisional win. The Raiders have a 2-0 record in uh, both against AFC teams, and the Chiefs are 2-0, one of them being a non-conference game. So, in order, you have the Broncos, the Raiders, and the Chiefs. Now, again, it doesn't mean much, especially with just two games in, but just to give you a general generality, if the season ended today, who would win the division and why the Chiefs would not be in first nor second place? Again, that's early, so don't look too much into it. When it when it comes to week seven, eight, nine, as, after that going on, that's when things matter. But, man, the Raiders have had two impressive wins. Now, the Jets, that's not impressive, but beating the Titans the way they did, certainly an impressive win for the Raiders there. The Broncos beating the Chargers on Monday Night Football. You'll always take a division win any way you can, but against the Cowboys? That Denver defense is scary good, and that could be a big test for Kareem Hunt later in the year. And the Broncos held Ezekiel Elliott to eight yards on the ground. This was the guy who led the NFL in rushing last year as a rookie. So you know that this is going to be a tough AFC West. Three teams all with 2-0 starts. And keep in mind, the winner last year was 12-4. And and the second place team, the Raiders, they were 12-4. So two teams tied for first place with a 12-4 record, the Chiefs and the Raiders. You know it's not going to be a very easy division to win. So Kansas City's got to be on its A game the remainder of the season and do everything to make sure that they limit their mistakes, they limit those stupid penalties, and maintain this level of success. Chargers fall to 0-2. I'll get to the Chargers later on in just a moment. But I do want to talk about this. Tony Romo, mentioned in the, earlier on the podcast, this guy needs to immediately leave the CBS booth. Now, you might be thinking he's great. He's by far the best color analyst I have heard. This guy somehow knows, and I guess part of it has to do with he's a former player. I get it, but we have a lot of former players that are... In the in the booth, in the announcing booth, and they don't do the stuff that Tony Romo does. Tony Romo, for the second week in a row, is correctly predicting what plays are coming up. Oh, a play action is coming. A run to the left. Oh, the safety is coming here. Here comes a run to the right. This guy knows what's going to happen. He needs to immediately leave the CBS booth and become a defensive coordinator in the NFL right now because he might do better than a lot of coaches that are defensive coordinators right now. If this guy can see what's happening, what's about to happen on each play for an offense, he immediately needs to become a defensive coach because this that could go a long way for a defense. I mean, could it not? I, I, I can't imagine teams not calling Tony Romo's agent right now and saying, look, we've got to bring this guy in as a defensive coordinator because he somehow, however the hell he knows this, because, again, we have other former players and coaches, but they can't predict them like Tony Romo does. So Tony Romo, man, for all the times that we took shots at him, we got to give him some credit. And I've seen the sore throat injury jokes. Uh, yeah, this guy is the best color announcer that we have seen. This guy needs to be a defensive coordinator like yesterday. 
This guy knows what's about to happen each and every single play on offense. Good for him. A big win for CBS Sports, especially if he continues to stay. Again, I'll be shocked if he doesn't get a call or some sort of offer to become a defensive assistant within the next year. Let's keep this train rolling and go out of bounds. If you are a combat sports fan and you follow that boxing fight Saturday night between Triple G and Canelo, uh, and I did see Canelo's fight over the summer when he had that big uh, battle between the two biggest Mexican boxers uh, in boxing history, uh, Canelo coming away with that dominant win. Uh, but man, against Triple G, ending in a draw, which a lot of people were surprised about, and both fighters already have said they want a rematch. Look, uh, in in this case, I think it's disappointing because I think part of the reason soccer is not very popular in the United States is because of the number of ties that we see. In the NFL, when we see a tie, it's just comical. People laugh about it. How is it that for 15 minutes, now 10 minutes, you aren't able to get a score of any kind and both teams somehow, the game ends in a tie? Which, by the way, I hate the new overtime rules, but I've already talked about that before. As far as this goes... Man, look, you've got to run it back. You Both fighters and, you know, of course, the arena and Las Vegas T-Mobile Arena and HBO Boxing, everyone involved, made a lot of money out of this. So a tie might be a good thing. So run it back one more time and make even more money out of this. A lot of celebrities always come out for these big boxing events. You saw it with Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather. And if you do it again with Triple G and Canelo, man, it's, it's going to draw big numbers once again. So... Run it back again. What do you have to lose? Find the re- find a real winner in this matchup and collect more cash. Who's against collecting more cash? Find me someone who does. You won't be able to. I do you want to talk about this? Kansas City Royals continue to struggle. I mean, the bullpen completely the opposite of what it was a couple of years ago. Kelvin Herrera is broken. Joaquin Soria not what he was in his uh, compared to his first stint with the Royals. I mean, the bullpen's just been very bad. From top to bottom. Scott Alexander looked good at one point. Then he looks bad. Uh, th- this has just been a really rough year for the Royals. That bad start played a role in this. And that might be the reason why uh, the Royals don't make it into the postseason this year as a wildcard team. Uh, yeah, they snapped Cleveland's winning streak. Great. But, man, this team cannot be consistent. Mike Moustakas has taken forever to hit a home run. He needs one more to hold the franchise record alone. And it's taken him forever to do that. He may not do that. He's forgotten how to hit home runs. And look, you've got a lot of players that are about to hit the free agent market. And I'll tell you what, the Royals all have already experienced a big dip in attendance. In fact, after the first se- uh, month of the season, the Royals had the uh, biggest drop in attendance in Major League Baseball. Look, I know everyone was excited when they went to the World Series back-to-back years. And it seems like those days are far and extinct with the dinosaurs. I hate to say that, but man... If you just see how this team's playing and the amount of interest, the interest is gone. So all those people that claim that they were hardcore Royals fans from the beginning, they started saying that during the World Series runs. Uh, I don't know anymore. I, I, I think everyone's true colors are strong. I only know one person who's truly been a Royals fan despite every single bad season. So look, it's out. It's no. It's no secret that people really weren't supportive of this team. I mean, the I, the, the Royals had back-to-back day games 
Tuesday and Wednesday at, at, at Kaufman. And the attendance numbers looked exactly like the numbers we saw last decade. Final thing, the new iPhones have been announced by Apple. Listen, I've got to say this. I want to see improvements for a couple of things. Number one, the, the, the period, the dot is way too close to the space bar. I keep typing that way too much when I'm not even trying to hit the period button. Secondly, I don't want a certain four-letter word to be auto-corrected to duck. I don't talk about ducks. I don't watch ducks. I never like Donald Duck. Stop with the autocorrect to duck. I know there's a as there's a hack where you can go on your address book, just create a random name and just start adding plurals names in that which will be viewed as plurals. But listen, man, you shouldn't have to do that. Stop taking the certain word away from me and renaming it, autocorrecting it to duck. Because I don't ducking like it when it gets autocorrected like that. Fix that. Gonna throw some flags. All right, during halftime, I believe, the Chiefs cheerleaders did a halftime dance, a halftime routine, and in the middle of the routine, half the cheerleaders spun in the air, jumping up, and as soon as one cheerleader landed, a cameraman collided with a Chiefs cheerleader. First of all, I don't understand why a cameraman has to be so close to to those cheerleaders while they're doing their routine. Second of all, how do you miss that there's someone in front of you? You've got a camera. What do you use a camera for? To see things, to to shoot video of things. So not only was this guy not paying attention, but he's way too close to the action and he bumped into someone. There's no word on how hurt that this cheerleader was or if she got back and started cheering right away again. But man, uh, pay attention to what you're doing. And by the way, people were impressed, like the rest of the cheerleaders, they continued dancing, going on with the routine, the dance, as if nothing happened. They're coached to do that, that no matter what happens, if someone goes down, continue to do your job. So, kind of a scary moment, but gosh, man, that, that cameraman, whoever that is, really needs some sort of slap on the wrist. Now, I'm not saying fire that guy, but man, what common sense do you have that made you think it's okay to be so close to those cheerleaders while trying to get to wherever you were going. Come on, man. And speaking of come on, man, that has to be on come on, man, on Monday Night Football. All right, the Miami Dolphins played the Chargers. The Chargers did not have a timeout. It's third down, and they were the offense was hustling off the field to try to get the field goal team out for a chance to win the game down by two. With no timeouts and time going down, the Dolphins called a timeout. And the broadcast, I mean, Trent Green, I don't remember who the other announcer he was with, who, who it was. They were both shocked. They were at a loss of words. I mean, these are people who talk for a living and they had no idea what to think. Now, the Chargers ended up missing the field goal. But to be quite honest... The Dolphins absolutely deserved to lose that football game. You cannot call a timeout like that and give the opposing team a chance to beat you. If the if the Chargers made it, 
there would have been there would be this is a fireable offense i'm not a fan of jumping to conclusions and wanting to a certain person to be let go or fired after one game but that is a fireable offense and whoever called that timeout maybe it was a player maybe it was a coach who whoever went up to the referee and said timeout that person really needs a bigger slap on the wrist than the cameraman I mean, that's a game that you could have lost right there. And keep in mind, you don't have your bye week because of the hurricanes go- taking place in South Florida. So, man, you don't put yourself in position to lose. That is a great example of shooting yourself in the foot. All right, look, I, I know in sport, we watch sports. We're listening to sports because we want to get away from all the political drama that we have going on here. But, you know, unfortunately we have these issues where people are sitting for the anthem and such. At a Red Sox game, there were a couple of people who brought a huge banner. First of all, I have no idea how they snuck this banner in. People try to sneak in food, try to sneak in beer, drinks, a, a water bottle, a, or, or even sunscreen, and they are, they, you, you're not allowed to bring those items in. The... the these people, I think three or four people, a small group, they brought in a giant banner that they hung over the green monster during the game at one point, and the sign read, racism is as American as baseball. Which, look, I don't know what the message was, what what, what the intent was in this. There are so many African-American, Hispanic players uh, and non-American players that play this game I just don't understand what the message was, what the attempt was in all of this. Look, people go to a baseball game to enjoy the sport. They don't want to see any political or hear any political nonsense. I mean, look, I I know you guys have mentioned to me a couple times, you you don't like it when I go too much on some of those subjects, and I understand, but when they tie in with sports, they've got to be discussed. Shame on these guys, man. I mean, do you really have nothing better to do? Look, do a peaceful protest. Go, you know, maybe not at the game, but just somewhere in a busy part of Boston. Last I checked, Boston's a big city. If I'm not mistaken, the fourth biggest city in the U.S. So there are plenty of places I'm sure you could have gone to to show that sign if you want to protest or whatever message you want to send. Not at a baseball game, man. People want to go there and enjoy the game. Parents have to explain to their kids now what that sign was about. That's just disgraceful. Leave politics away from the sport. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. 2-0! 2-0, you'll take that. By the way, one stat I just found, uh, saw a tweet on this. Kareem Hunt is the only player in NFL history to have 3-plus rush TDs and 2-plus receiving touchdowns in his first two career games. Obviously had the most dominant debut in NFL history, and now he has this. Uh, it looks like the resume already building for that Rookie of the Year award. Not not going on that too much. Obviously, the team success comes first, but man, we all know we love those individual success. Come on. Every time those Pro Bowl results come out, we always hope to see Chiefs players in, in the running. So, look, good for Kareem Hunt, man. Keep this up. This is something the Chiefs really needed, especially after that Spencer Ware injury. I talked about on this podcast, and many people have as well, the fact that the Chiefs have only Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill as viable weapons on offense. Now you've got Kareem Hunt, who's opened things up completely. And now you've got 
a brand new offense because of him. You've got a you've got a good passing game, and there's a lot you can go do with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and get others involved as well when you when you use those guys as a decoy. That shovel pass uh, to Kelsey. I mean, the way that they've been using that has been very impressive and unexpected. This has been a very good offense to see, especially with that rushing attack renewed again. So Kansas City, this offense has got to continue. And Kareem Hunt, the way that he's been going with the Chiefs, I mean, his 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 impact has been a big one and has helped the Chiefs quite a bit. We'll preview the game between the Chiefs and the Chargers on Wednesday. Wednesday morning, the podcast will be available. Talk more about Kareem Hunt and the impact he's had for the Kansas City Chiefs. And then I'll give you guys some AFC West previews. Talk about other AFC West games. That'll be taking place. And then, of course, as always, wrap up the show going around the NFL out of bounds and I'll throw penalty flags once again. Appreciate you guys downloading and listening to the podcast. Like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Farzine Follow me on Twitter at Farzine21 and email me Farzine at Farzine Subscribe to the podcast. Let a friend know about it. Share it on social media. Help the show greatly. Let other fans know about the Chiefs on podcast. Come on in. Always room for more people to get on this bus. So come on in. Talk Chiefs football. Talk to you guys on Wednesday.